power on. Accessing historical database. Year 2020. The tech giants become aware of the greatest threat to their corporatist domination. An obscure science and tech podcast becomes a major factor in a peaceful open source revolt against the military Silicon Valley industrial complex. The podcast, Sovereign Tech. Its host, Dr. Brian Sovereign. The tech giants try to stop Sovereign Tech. They can't. Whew, they say to me, baby, a golden stallion, will you please make sense of it all? Well, I have unfortunate news for you because uh, like the, the, uh, the good old book says, no, not that book. The other book. It says that the universe is uh, always one step beyond logic, right? Is that Dune? I think that's Dune. <laughs> and these days, well, when hasn't it felt that way? I'm sure there's a reason Frank Herbert wrote it that way. Anyway, you know, boy, uh, we had a great, if you didn't listen to this last episode of TIE Fighter Renegades, what a great fucking time that was. Uh, and, and last, the episode before that, that we did, we had a great conversation around Dune. I'm not going to get into it right now, but I don't know. You know, it's a funny thing. All right. All right. Let's open this baby up. Let's start talking some stuff here. Going to theaters. Now, I, but long before, long before COVID-19 was a thing, I basically said, look, I'm done. I'm done with the entertainment industry. I'm not going to theaters. I'm just not doing this. You know, like I, I, I cannot give money to these fucking people. Uh, that being Hollywood. And I, I said, all right, maybe one caveat would be to go see uh, Fast 9, you know, because uh, uh, if my my departed dear friend Chris can't see it, my eyes better at the very least at some point. Do know, you know, I mean, I, even even really, really skeptical people out there, you know, even those guys on YouTube, I don't know, whoever, Midnight's Edge, whatever, go down the list of them. Even they're like, oh, you know, actually this, this might turn out all right, but we had a great conversation. I'm telling you, if you did not listen to that episode of TIE Fighter Renegades, I think it was episode 37, give that a listen. Uh, in fact, I even laid out a theory that boy, it's not going to happen. Um, I mean, it's too late. We know that, but, uh, but some interesting, uh, choices for the casting of Duncan Idaho might've been interesting to do a little gender swap there, but Hey, that's probably not going to happen. Or I mean, we, we know already that that's not going to happen. Unless, I don't know, maybe, uh, maybe when they, they produce the, the, the Duncan Gola, uh, comes out as a woman, <laughs> as a Gola. Is that possible? Can we, can we do that? I mean, come on, it's Hollywood, right? All that magic. They can do anything they want. They can. <laughs> anyway, on this show, of course, granted, really, ultimately, I can do whatever I want. But you're here not to hear me talk about Dune. All right, maybe you are. <laughs> I know people love it when I talk up some science fiction. Maybe we'll get into that later in the show. But you're here. 
to hear the science and tech news, baby. And I have got plenty to get into. Uh, some of it unbelievable. Some of it playing off of the recent episode uh, that I did, which was what, what, what episode number are we on now? Three. That was 379. We're on episode 380. 20 episodes to episode 400. Woo, what a time. I can't believe I've been doing the show that long. <laughs> it's been almost a decade that I've been doing the show every single week. Unbelievable. But got a lot of a lot of great feedback um, from the episode from episode 379 uh, that I did with uh, some, uh, dare I say, controversial subjects. But, you know, if you're not saying what you feel, why or, you know, and what you think, if you're afraid to say what's on your mind, to speak your mind, why get behind a microphone? Really? Why podcast if you're just going to put out all the all the horse shit that everybody else says? You know who I'm talking about. Anyway, all right, let's uh, let's get into the foreplay here where we talk about all the little stories going on in the world. And, you know, this this one's this. <laughs> oh, man, we could get into big stories about one of my favorite subjects, that being Facebook. Of course, it's not really one of my favorite subjects, but you know what I mean? Um, but not uninterestingly. And I, I kind of wonder about the the broader ramifications of this. But basically, they will now allow you for this coming uh, election season, as it were, in 2020, they will allow you to turn off political ads entirely, apparently. Now, our, as we've said many times, Facebook, again, it's a setting. I put a link in the show notes. It can show you how to do it. Um, I mean, and if you're, you know, if you're a, a <laughs> let's just say it, if you're an anarchist like me, why the hell not? Right. <laughs> I mean, who the hell wants to see that crap anyway? But also I would recommend that if you're into getting away from authoritarian structures, whatever shape they happen to take, what are you doing on Facebook in the first place? Regardless, if you happen to be on there, turning off the political ads, probably not a bad idea. And in fact, I think it'd be great to tell everybody to do that because they're just that it's marketing. It's bullshit. I, you know, I could sidetrack on a whole comment about this, uh, the present, the present presidential election, but I will not. But bottom line, less politics in your life, the better off you are. I, I, I think that that's a that's just a fact. But granted, on Facebook, I mean, this is ultimately a fool's errand, right? It's like, OK, so you won't see political ads, but are you going to see political bullshit from your supposed friends list? Yeah, of course you are. <laughs> so this, this doesn't really do a whole lot. This is more of them really just being out in front of the accusations that are going to drop again, because most likely I don't agree with it. Did, did me calling myself an anarchist not make the point plain enough? I don't vote. Nor do I, well, I don't want to tell, I don't want to uh, tell people what they should and shouldn't do necessarily, at least not when it, when it comes to these sorts of things, you want to talk tech and ask me a question and say, what should I do? Fine. I will tell you what you should do, but the idea that anarchists vote, you know, I, I just, I, I don't understand. You know, it's, it's like when Katie Holmes left Scientology and went to the Catholic church, it's like, wait, wait a minute. You, nothing changed. <laughs> you know, you're still in the cult, right? But okay, whatever people do that. Um, so I, I have no skin in this game. Uh, I think that Trump is probably going to win. I mean, and I hope to be wrong. I could be wrong. It doesn't really matter if I'm right or wrong because the result, the end result is always the same authoritarianism, right? So ultimately who really fucking cares? But anyway, 
Trump is probably going to stay in office, slap nuts in chief there, big orange. And um, Facebook, you know, just coming out and saying, oh, no, 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 we didn't allow for, you know, we, we gave you the option to not see political stuff or not see political ads. And again, it's only ads, but you're still going to see political stuff. So this is just part of them trying to, because they've been getting blamed for the past four years for that moron being in the office in the first place. Right. It's, you know, Facebook as co-opted by the Russians as if somehow we're back in the 1960s and 70s. And it's the fucking Cold War all over again, which I was pretty sure Rocky Balboa put an end to. But I guess that actually didn't happen, according to, well, you know, I mean, look, folks, journalistic institutions, news organizations. I mean, that that's boy, that's a pretty loose term these days. They need boogeymen just as much as any government does to stay relevant. And so if they're boogeyman, I mean, look, you don't need the way that Facebook operates is enough reason to not be on it. And in fact, as we've talked about many times and proven the point that really Facebook is such a beast. And I don't mean that in a positive connotation. Facebook is a beast that cannot be tamed. Facebook, the company, has lost control of its own network. It's not like it's become sentient or something, but like it's so complex that they've absolutely lost control of it. I mean, it's the same thing that's going on, frankly, I think, with like the Windows kernel. They've just lost it's just it's become so complex, so convoluted. It's it's such a fucking mess that they, you know, like Microsoft can't even rein in their own their own shit. Facebook cannot rein in their own network. They just can't. I don't have any sympathy for them at all, but I'm just saying that that's the nature of the beast. So, you know, turning off political ads. Yeah, this is just marketing on their part. You think they don't want it to be a political tool? No, of course they do. I mean, Zuck's looking to run for office of some kind. I still think that that's, that's something that's, that's coming down. And in fact, his whole shit, we didn't cover this when it went down his whole shit about um, that, you know, Social media networks should not be fact checkers like what Twitter did against uh, asshat and chief there. Um, I mean, that's just him. That's self-interest on his part because he doesn't want to, he doesn't want Facebook to get in that game because he eventually, and again, I'm not the only person to say this. He eventually wants to get into office and he's probably to the point now that he thinks the best, his best chance of getting into office is to be a little bit older and to basically have it to where, you know, president Trump can't run again. Right. So that this is all part of a not being held liable in the future for political horseshit that happens and B making sure that, or, or, you know, helping ensure that he has some viable shot that being Zuckerberg of running for office. That's really what all this crap is about. It certainly isn't about making a better user experience or giving you more control or, or anything like that. Though ultimately you do have the most control in the fact that you can delete your account as you should. Now, moving on from that, I just, I found that to be interesting and kind of hilarious. And there's another Facebook story I wanted to get into that has to do where they paid really top dollar for a tails exploit as in tails, the tour, you know, based operating system. Ooh, man. Anyway, that may, maybe we'll get into that at another time, because I think that there's a, a larger conversation to be had about where we're at with the Tor browser 
anyway, uh, as well as using Tails. Uh, but let's move on from that. I mean, I guess while we're talking about social media networks, let's go right into what is going on at Twitter. And they are adding this. And um, I, I don't <laughs> I don't understand this. Uh, they are now allowing for, but only on iOS. And I don't know why it's only on iOS. And I mean, whatever. It, Let's finish the point. Twitter is, they're adding voice recording tweets. Basically on iOS in the Twitter app. Okay. There will be a, a new button on the, on the bottom, uh, you know, little menu bar there. There'll be a new button that will allow you to record 140 seconds, which haha, that's kind of funny because right. You used to only have 140 characters for your tweet. So for your voice recording, you only have 140 seconds. Um, but they will let you just put a voice message out there on that. Uh, I can imagine that people are going to use this. Um, why it's only on iOS, I have no idea. And and the part that, that frustrates me about that is as somebody who, I mean, and look, I'm using the latest version of iOS, the user interface and the user experience overall, the UI and the UX for, for iOS is so terrible. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if, I mean, eventually it should, it should come out for Android if it's something that really takes off and I get it. The iOS people are supposedly affluent or iOS is used by creatives more or something like that, which I, frankly, I just, I can't get, I, I mean, I can't get like anything. Here's the funny thing. Okay. With, and I've done this over the years now, granted you're talking to the guy who basically wrote. Uh, the security guide for Android. So I understand that I'm kind of knee deep, you know, in that, um, in that, for lack of a better term, ecosystem. But I've tried with iOS. Okay. And again, I have a high end. It's not like I'm waiting on anything. The processor's fine. You know, there's no, no issues there. It's, it's a latest gen iOS product that I, you know, get to test out iOS with. All right. I have tried to with an Android device, I can basically, I really can do just about anything I normally do with a computer just about. All right. Now, I mean, you get into some nitty gritty stuff, like, I don't know, wanting to tag MP3s or, you know, some other things like there's lots of little things that I can think of that, that are a pain in the ass to do on Android, but really overall, like if I really was put down to brass tacks, everything that, especially if I have like a Bluetooth keyboard and whatever, everything that I would normally do with a computer, I'm not saying that it's private or secure. I'm just saying what you do with a computer, I could do on an Android device, right? Um, and, and do so, you know, fairly fast because, you know, you can share between apps and all of this other stuff. With iOS, absolutely not. Like you, you completely give over control of what you want to do to whatever app uh, you know, is put in front of you with iOS where that is not true with underneath Android, you know, there's a great file manager. I mean, not great, but it's better than, you know, most mobile platforms. Uh, you know, there, there's a, uh, there, I'll say decent, there's a decent file manager. Okay. That's where the file manager for iOS, uh, what the fuck? I can't be remotely as creative with iOS as I could be with Android. Okay. So I don't understand this idea. I mean, I, I think it ultimately comes down to is that like the creatives that somehow you there that use iOS. Uh, they're not 
computer literate. <laughs> okay. At least I, I don't think so because you, you just, it's just not possible. So I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't grasp this. I don't understand. Now, I mean, you could say that the, you know, have this, this whole voice memo basically, or voice tweet system is kind of superfluous, right? Because you could just as easily make a little video that would put this, you know, with, with whatever desktop you have to be using, um, that would, that would make this available. Maybe, I don't know, maybe Twitter saw that telegram does this sort of thing and it's really popular. I, I mean, again, I could see the value in, in the idea in the abstract. It's just, it's not like it's something that can already be done. So I don't understand exactly why it's a completely separate feature, but ultimately what does this come down to, right? Which is usually what you listen to Sovereign Tech for is, okay, wait a minute. Why are they really doing this? Well, the real reason is, is that it's something, I mean, how many changes really can Twitter make, right? Without, you know, changing its base model and, and flipping everybody out, which happens every time they usually come out with a new feature. A new feature like this is relatively safe. Maybe nobody will use it, but then that doesn't really matter because moves like this are about appeasing investors, right? They can go to investors and say, well, we're giving this a shot. And it is different from what any other social media platform I think generally offers, right? Where it's just a purely audio experience. So, so I kind of get that it's a differentiator and I mean, not, is anybody really going to use it? Maybe, maybe not. But ultimately what matters is, is that you, it looks like you're trying to do something and trying to grow. And so that impresses investors. It's the same reason that, you know, like why do we have different operating system versions for uh, smartphones in the first place? Right. Instead of just putting out continual updates for the ones that, you know, for, for what gets shipped, which they still do that as far as security updates. But anyway, the point is the reason that they keep coming out with new numbers of, of uh, you know, OS versions. And really, this is true for not just mobile devices this is also true for desktops. Largely, it has to do with just appeasing investors, investors thinking that, oh, there's something special here. Right. I mean, for example, I'm reminded uh, I'm reminded of, well, Tron legacy, right? And, and there's a, that movie, there's a lot of things in there where they were really smart about the, I mean, of course, you know, the overall concept of Tron and everything. I mean, that's, it's kind of outrageous, but, uh, but they were really smart in what they were doing and putting on the screen as far as, uh, shall we say, uh, well, like we just mentioned computer literacy, and one of the things for the company Encom, uh, there's a point where the character of Alan, played by the inimitable Bruce Boxleitner, where he says, you know, so what exactly is uh, different about the new version of Encom OS? And the the CEO says, well, we put a we put a ten on the box, or we put a twelve on the box, or whatever the whatever number he happened to say. And that's just it. Like, there's no real difference half the time with this shit. They just put like a new number on, and that's been true for a very long time. I mean, ultimately, well, anyway, we, we could get sidetracked on an entire conversation around this. Um, I really could see this people using this and I could see this being kind of interesting um, and fun. Uh, but I don't know. A lot of people are really big about social media and interacting online. And this has been true for decades because what you're like in meat space is not required to, I don't know, garner a following or just get attention online. I mean, hey, I can kind of speak to that. Uh, I mean, I'm an ugly motherfucker and <laughs> thankfully podcasting's a thing and you never have to see my face. Great. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Otherwise no one would take me seriously. Right. 
But anyway, new feature on Twitter. Is anybody going to take to it? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, you know, if, if Twitter were smart, I, I mean, I, this might, I guess this is like their version of, um, this is like audio vine, like the audio version of vine. And, you know, it'll be here for a couple of years and then it'll probably, you know, f- fall out of fashion just like everything else does. And eventually it goes back to where Twitter becomes part of its, you know, what it is at its core. Um, Ironically, I mean, and I'm sure Twitter knows this. Ultimately what Twitter is, is really it's the modern day phone book. That's, that's really all it is. And to some degree a phone system. I mean, I think Twitter gets more use as a customer service platform than it does really even as, as, as social media. Um, I mean, is this something, is this a feature that I am going to use? You know, maybe, I don't know. Maybe, maybe this will take off. I mean, it's certainly something I do before I'd want to take video. That's for sure. Um, again, I could kind of see where people could get pretty creative and, and pretty funny with this, but then that's part of the problem too, is that ultimately I don't feel anything that is like creative on Twitter, any creative pursuits or efforts on Twitter. Uh, I mean, I know there are people who do like mini science fiction stories within the character limit of Twitter. And like, there's whole accounts based around that and everything. Um, I feel like on Twitter, everything is just 15 minutes of fame. Like that's, that's also a part of its, its MO. But ultimately with Twitter, at least right now, Everything is just sarcasm. Everything's a joke. Even, and, and, and I mean this, like, like even and as serious as some situations that are going on, you know, from, from protests to COVID-19, whatever, to me, everything just looks like fucking sarcasm. Nobody actually wants to share anything that is, uh, that is really like engaging or inspirational or whatever, or it's just a bunch of, you know, whatever, uh, what do they call them now? It's not even like all right. Now they call them NRX. Is that it? Right. It's just these ass hats saying whatever. And it's a giant circle jerk and anything. I mean, there's just, there's no real, like, it's just like the rest of the internet. There's really, none of it favors intellectual, well thought out, uh, enlightening, enriching content. YouTube sure as fuck doesn't. I mean, you know, and, and I don't think Twitter's any better. So where I could see some really interesting things like kind of done with this at the same time, it it's, it's just going to turn into, you know, LCD. It's just going to turn into the lowest, whatever pleases the lowest common denominator. And then who the fuck cares? And, and that's why I, I really cannot spend a lot of time. I mean, the telegram group is great because we all get to kind of banter and live talk together and everything. And it's a very small group. And so that, you know, that fosters uh, a certain kind of engagement there, you know, there is no real lowest common denominator on there. Right. And I know that all the members, most of the members in there, I mean, I want to say 90% of the people in the telegram group, I mean, there's brilliant questions getting asked. There's brilliant people talking about stuff, but 90% of the people in the telegram group, uh, you know, don't, I mean, I guess they're, you know, they're more, and I'm not insulting you in any way. I'm just, I'm just stating it as fact. They're basically lurkers, right? Where they're just seeing what's going on and, and, you know, they just kind of go about their day. Uh, it kind of reminds me of the old Britney song, right? You know, some people, uh, there's, what is it? There's only two kinds of people in the world. Those who entertain and those that observe. Okay. You know, whatever. Um, but the, because it's so, it's a smaller group, 
uh, it allows for, again, a, a, a more intellectual engagement. I mean, and there's plenty of times where comedy comes in and we're cracking jokes and stuff like this. That's fine. Um, but Twitter just seems to be endless sarcasm and, and that's, and that's all it is. And so ultimately it's very hard for me to get excited about any feature, um, because it's just going to turn into, okay, you know, what garners the most listens, views, hearts, retweets, whatever. And you know, none of what, what creates a hashtag and none of that has anything to do, frankly, and I'd like you to be frank with yourself, with yourself, or in this case, me, as I'm talking about it, me becoming a better person or me being genuinely happier for the long term. So why do I care? Anyway, I put it out there. You can look for it. If you find creative ways of doing it, uh, awesome. And you know, something I should do, I should do a special about like, like I did a top eight YouTube accounts that don't actually suck. Uh, (laughs) That was basically the title or that aren't actually shit. I think was the name of it or that aren't complete shit. And it was a way to find the, or it was, it was, you know, something out there curated to find these YouTube channels that are still putting out, that are putting out great stuff, intellectual stuff, well thought out, maybe well-produced, you know, content, right? that will never almost never appear on the front page uh, of YouTube, at least not unless it falls into your algorithm. Okay. Maybe there's certain Twitter accounts that might be putting out actually great stuff or people that are actually worth following. Uh, It's a good bet. They don't have a blue check mark next to their name, but you know, maybe I should do a special like that. We'll see. Now, speaking of uh, new features and Apple at the same time, um, (laughs) Now, this is just, let's be clear here. Um, This is just a patent that Apple uh, has has been granted. Okay. So there are a lot of patents that have been granted to a lot of tech companies that are really wild shit uh, that at least up to this date, um, you know, have not come, you know, have not been brought to the consumer. Okay. Or have not been effectively, you know, produced. This is one that I kind of wonder if it's going to be coming. And I, I wonder what new, I mean, cause there's a lot of theories that new hardware platforms, like maybe glasses of some kind, whatever, uh, are going to be getting released soon by Apple. Again, those are leaks and rumors. And I generally don't deal with those as far as consumer products go, because I just don't believe in any of them. I mean, unless you're going to come out with a phone that basically says um, the government can never listen to this, blah, 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 you know, then maybe I'd get excited, but otherwise, whatever. Um, but this is, so it's, and I'm actually reading from uh, CNN business here. Apple has been granted a patent for software that will, would allow for socially distant group selfies. And basically what this does is, is that it will be software, um, and I do wonder, I mean, this is something where having, well, it'd be from the front, right? Cause it's a selfie. So you wouldn't be taking advantage of the stupid amount of lenses on the back of an iPhone uh, that are there now. Um, but basically what it'll do is, is it'll take a picture of you and then it, you, other people can take pictures and it's not clear if it's done with the same phone. I'm guessing it can be done with the same phone, but the basic idea is, is that you put together, like you, you create a fake selfie 
where you're say at the grand Canyon or something like that. And then you can add in other people because it'll remove the background from other pictures and everybody. And then it'll create one shot that is, you know, that's supposed to look like a selfie that you had with other people. Um, (laughs) I'm reminded, I know I've been quoting a ton of movies this episode. I don't know why, but I'm reminded of uh, judge dread actually (laughs) where, when they have the picture of dread is the one with Sylvester Stallone um, where they're both good movies. But anyway, where it's the picture of the baby, you know, baby dread and like his parents are in it. And then they're, they're, you know, they take apart the pixels basically on the, on the, on the picture. And then you find out actually it's just a baby in a lab and like the parents aren't actually there. All the other elements are fake and everything. And it kind of reminds me of that. Right. If you can remember that. Um, I mean, this is just rife for abuse. And really just adds into a point that I have made for years on this show, which is that don't basically, and actually this speaks well to the whole, uh, uh, you know, voice Twitters or voice tweets that Twitter is going to allow for. Don't believe anything that you, uh, you know, unless you're in person and you're looking at the other person, don't believe what you see unless you're actually there basically online. Okay. Online. Don't believe what you hear. Don't believe what you see, you know, don't, and, and as far as what you read, I mean, come on, but, but you know, people are going to make pictures where it's like, I don't know. Like, I think relationships are in some real fucking trouble here. (laughs) Cause you're going to have like stalkers adding in photos where they're going to grab a photo of you that you posted on Facebook, which you thought it was totally harmless to post that photo on Facebook. Oh, now, but now Apple is going to be able to, to delete the background on it. Well, I don't know if they're going to be able to do with past photos, but you get my point. You get where this is going, right? Is that a lot of, uh, I could see people using this for a lot of incriminating shit, but basically, I mean, when, if this does come to the consumer level, I mean, photo evidence of anything better at the very least should not be admissible in court and certainly should not be admissible in the court of public opinion because now, I mean, it, it just, it'll all be fake, you know, unless they do it in a cutesy way where it stays, where you recognize that it's fake, but then what's the point? Like then just do some kind of weird editing thing. It doesn't have to be like an entire patent at that point. Does it? They're calling them synthetic selfies. I mean, there's an irony in that name because frankly, I think just about every photo, especially 99.99999% of what's on Instagram is effectively synthetic. Okay. I mean, as synthetic as in like it's placed and chosen out of a hundred pictures to have the best lighting and whatever, and to make somebody look like they're living some kind of amazing life, Woo, best life, best life. And you know, you, you, when you know that that person is probably rampantly dep- depressed and anyway, we only get the best of each other on the internet, right? Which that's the whole problem. That's why nothing feels real because none of us are being real with each other. So synthetic selfies from Apple for Apple to have their perfect world. Boy, yeah, they're, you know, they're going to make sure that if, uh, if the world isn't happy, go lucky in reality, in the fantasy of the internet. Oh yes. Everything can look like things are perfectly normal and wonderful. Um, I mean, this is just bullshit. <laughs> this is, it's an idea that I could see you having some fun with, but in the abstract, you know, somehow inspiring people to not really get together and, and somehow it's just more of this. Well, synthetic's a great word, but this fakeness 
online and it just adds to the fakeness online. And as more people spend more time online, it just doesn't help with people, you know, connecting with each other and frankly with themselves because they'll just be constantly comparing to even more bullshit now, especially with synthetic selfies. So not, not exciting at all, but certainly adds into the very important concept to keep in mind is that basically you can't believe a single fucking thing that you see or hear online. You just can't, you know, I mean, voices can be, you know, we, we talked about that, the Adobe technology where it can record, I don't know what, 15 seconds of your voice. And then it can make you, uh, it can produce a recording that, or a sound file that basically sounds like you saying anything that gets typed in. Um, yeah. So (laughs) nothing, any of these features, voice tweets, synthetic selfies, whatever, none of this stuff, you know, inspires, uh, greater trust or inspires a greater connection. Not ultimately, it just really, it makes everything else makes everything taste feel, seem more electroplated than, you know, than it helps. That's, I mean, it just, that's my thought on it. And I, I don't want to sound like, a, I mean, I'm not that old. Okay. I'm 39, but I don't want to sound like a grumpy old man who just complains about every new fucking thing that comes out. I actually don't complain about every little new, new thing that, that comes out. In fact, later on in the show, I plan on reviewing something that I, I really fucking loved. I actually might even review a couple things that I really loved more than a couple things that I really love. There's great, there, there's, there are good things that have come out, but there's a lot of this stuff that needs a good critical eye. And of course, Sovereign Tech is here to provide that. But frankly, anything that could get produced with any of these new features that come from whatever tech giant, if there was anything truly root striking of any kind uh, within it, like really, really, and that could somehow affect a lot of people or reach out to a lot of people, it would probably get deleted or taken down or banned. Don't believe me? Stay tuned for our next story. I'll be right back with some more Sovereign Tech. Hey, is Sovereign Tech not enough for you? Well, let me tell you about something you'll never get enough of. No, no, I mean it. We're talking about a radio show and podcast that goes all night long, seven nights a week, three hours a night, 365 days a year, and has been going since the early aughts, baby. I am talking about none other than free talk live. It's the show you control. That's right. It's an open phones call-in show that is ready for you. And if you're worried that your voice isn't going to get heard, don't be. We are talking about the only libertarian radio show stateside. And not only that, it's also the number 26 talk show in the United States. Start listening now and go ahead and hit that massive back catalog at freetalklive.com. The Golden Stallion guarantees a good time. And you might even find some episodes with me on them when you do. That's freetalklive.com, and we thank them for sponsoring Sovereign Tech. Let's get back to the show. The main story. It is time for the main story, and this is a somewhat, well, we mentioned, we talked about it briefly in the last episode, in episode 379 of Sovereign Tech, and I think it's important to get a full picture on this story and to understand its implications 
Uh, and this certainly much like we were complaining about journalists and news organizations in the, I mean, which technically I know I'm a journalist, but regardless, we were complaining about plenty of those during the foreplay in this episode. Uh, you, you're going <laughs> to, this isn't going to help with the matter. Um, this is from the Washington post and the story is from May 20th, 2020. So is that, yeah, <laughs> it's not 2020, 20, but you get it anyway. It's titled Misinformation About Coronavirus Finds New Avenues on Unexpected Sites. With social media giants taking down more content, unlikely services such as Google Drive and the Internet Archive are becoming conduits for materials such as the, and I didn't want to name it in the last episode of Sovereign Tech, but fine, we'll do it here since we're talking about it, such as the Plandemic video. Uh, This is by Elizabeth Dwowskin. And I think it's important to name the name here because this is frankly deplorable. Uh, And, you know, understand Elizabeth wrote this story, but obviously she, you know, has to get approval from editors and so on. Uh, So, you know, it's not unfair to blame basically the entirety, I think, of the Washington Post. And of course, who owns the Washington Post? Like Motley Crue said, take it to the top. (laughs) There's Jeff Bezos with his pocket change. Anyway, let's read on here. Uh, Within days of social media companies taking down a viral video touting conspiracy theories about the novel coronavirus, a clip popped up uh, or a clip popped popped up on YouTube telling viewers about another way they could still access the banned footage through a link to the video on the file sharing service Google Drive. Google Drive uh, is not a social media platform, nor is it set up to tackle the problems that social media companies face, the weaponization of their services to amplify dangerous content. But the use of the Drive link to the trailer for a documentary called Plandemic reflects a wave of seemingly countless workarounds employed by people motivated to spread misinformation about the virus. Efforts that continue to thwart social media companies' attempts at preventing hoaxes and conspiracy theories from spreading in the midst of the greatest, greatest public health crisis in decades. During the pandemic, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube have adopted a more aggressive approach to policing information than in the past. They have introduced new rules, such as removing posts that contradict guidance from public health agencies, deny that the virus exists, or promote bogus scientific claims. That has prompted these those spreading COVID-19 information to try new methods, including using social media services that have not historically been platforms for news, such as the short video app uh, TikTok and productivity tools such as Google Drive and Google Docs. They've even used digital library internet archive. These services have more limited systems for policing content compared with the major social media platforms, which have spent years investing in moder- uh, moderation efforts in response to criticism. Uh, borrowing techniques used by other illicit industries, including porn, many of the remaining posts about pandemic on YouTube and Facebook have the most inflammatory content edited out to do, to avoid detection. Instead, they direct people to a link where they can see the entire film. The pandemic video is a trailer for a documentary that recasts populist conspiracy theories about how elites are suppressing information about the virus. In it, a doctor, Judy Mikovits, says Anthony Fauci, a director of the National Institute of... Uh, Did I pronounce his name right? I I hear it all the time and whatever. Anyway, director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease buried her research showing that vaccines damage the immune system. She also says that Bill Gates and others are spreading the virus to profit off an eventual vaccine and that wearing a mask increases a person's risk of catching the virus. It went viral last week. Again, this is in May 20th, becoming one of YouTube's top trending videos, according to social media researcher Aaron Gallagher. Videos surged on YouTube as people clicked through from embedded links in Facebook groups that 
dedicated to opposing vaccines and the conspiracy, th- blah, 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 blah. Soon after it went viral, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter banned the video on the grounds that it contained misinformation about the virus that could cause real world harm and an immediate threat to public, t- to public health. Uh, TikTok did the same thing. Anyway, this story goes on for a while. Ultimately, what ends up happening here um, is that Donovan uh, call, or I'm sorry, uh, Elizabeth Dwowskin, uh, like the and and the people that are quoted in this, ultimately are calling for. And the video did get flagged by the Washington Post. The video that linked to the Google Drive link, the Washington Post is complicit in this. Okay, they reported the video, which linked to a Google Drive video that would show off this entire film of pandemic. They reported it to YouTube. YouTube then, which is really Google, even though they want to claim they're two separate companies under Alphabet. Well, no, they're under Alphabet, so they're the same company. It's just called a parent company, right? Google then deleted the video that was provided at the Google Drive link shared in the YouTube video. Google deleted personal content off of a, off of Google drive from a Google account. Do you understand? The easy thing to bring up here and was kind of the point I was making in episode 379 of sovereign tech and look, all right, hold on. I, I, I have to preface this stuff all the time because people start flipping out because, you know, people are cooped up and they're just looking for a way to rage. Right. Okay. Before I go further, Whatever the, I I haven't even watched this pandemic movie, nor am I even necessarily interested in it. Okay. Is it because I want to ignore the truth? No. Okay. Because regardless of what the reality is around COVID-19, there are two things that I consider to be fact and that this movie will not change. One is that an infection A spreading infection, a disease like COVID-19 is not made by Bill Gates, blah, 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 whatever. It is a matter, you know, regardless of what you think the origin is, it was a matter of when, not if. In fact, it is remarkable that something like this hasn't happened earlier and all of the elements are in place at the very roots of modern civilization to allow for this kind of, this kind of disease to spread and to come into existence, jump species and so on. It's absolutely just been a matter of when, not if. So getting, you know, thinking about, Hey, what happens if there is a pandemic? On a personal level, I don't care what the fuck the government thinks, okay? On a personal level is absolutely key for everybody because, again, it is a, it is a matter of when, not if. I recommend, if, you have, if you've never read this book, you should read this book. It's fairly new. Actually, it's very new. How to Survive a Pandemic by Michael Greger. He spends probably three quarters of that book. I mentioned it before last time when Ellen was on, he spends three quarters of that book explaining here's the history. You know, he talks about Spanish, uh, the Spanish flu and so on. Here's the history of these, you know, kind of species jumping diseases and so on. And I mean, it's, it's remarkable. 
And you can check. I mean, he's got all the footnotes in the world. You can go over all of it and you can look into it. And believe me, I have. It is absolutely a matter of when, not if. Okay. Now, the second fact is that regardless of COVID-19's origins, there are multiple forces, groups, organizations, whatever, that are absolutely taking advantage Okay, of this. It doesn't mean they planned it. That doesn't mean anything along those lines. It just means that they are taking advantage of it. Right. And I don't, and you know, something that I actually said, and I, I said this many episodes ago, this would have been back in, back in March, just as all of this was starting and people were asking me about it. And so I did an episode about it based on your questions. Um, I said there, or no, I think it was in a Q and a actually it was, a, it was like the Q and a after that episode where I stated that. I said, you know, if I were, if I owned like a, a, uh, you know, a restaurant chain, you know, like a, like a margaritas or, and I don't mean to, to call out any restaurant chain or say that any of them actually did this. Okay. But just as an example, um, I would be totally lobbying and supportive of the quarantine going on for however long it could, because that would put all of the little restaurants in all the little towns and wherever else that I was trying to grow into or take the business from. Okay. I mean, if if I'm the owner of a major chain of restaurants, I can survive two, three months, you know, without, without the profit, right? Because when everything opens back up, I've got a bunch of restaurants that can start generating the revenue or whatever, but you know, the little mom and pop shop or restaurant probably can't survive the quarantine. And I'd want that quarantine to go on for however long. And then, you know, basically I can swoop in and you know, what's unfortunate is that in just about any city or town that I've been in, the amount of, of businesses, especially restaurants or coffee shops that have put themselves up for sale now. I mean, there it is, you know? And, and so I, I, I say that I'm not saying that anyone actually did that. I can't prove that I had, you know, that they would, that they were lobbying or something. I'm sure there is a way to find that proof, but regardless That's not the road I need to go down. But point being is that, you know what, the restaurant industry was somehow, or like major chains in the restaurant industry were somehow complicit in this. I doubt it. But are they going to take advantage of it? Of course they are. Or in my opinion, of course they are, or in some form or fashion, or they are going to gain advantage from it, whatever. Okay. So any movie, any video is not going to change my opinion on that. And those are the two major takeaways from this whole scenario. And if there are a third takeaway, it would be that it shows just how fragile modern civilization really is. And it is, but this whole story that I'm telling you about from the Washington post ultimately has nothing to do with whatever the crisis du jour is. What it has to do with is that you relying upon the tech giants, which are in bed with governments, right? It's corporatism. You relying upon cloud storage and somehow that making your shit safe uh, is, is a recipe for data loss and failure. This really shows the cracks in cloud storage, which is what everybody wants you to jump on, right? Well, I mean, you could still take advantage, I suppose, of cloud, you know, of Google Drive, OneDrive, uh, Dropbox, whatever. But boy, you better always have local backups. I mean, that that that's so readily apparent. And I, 
I mean, this is talk about something else that was really just a matter of time. It was a matter of time before we saw this sort of thing happen where, you know, the company, the tech giant that powers this cloud storage where you share what you consider to be vital information with people or whatever, uh, that at their leisure, that they will just grab it up and delete it away from you. Again, just a matter of time. I mean, I I've been expecting this. I mean, this is just a very high profile story for it to happen. And amazingly that, you know, journalists, they didn't, Washington Post didn't even want to bother to try. I mean, fuck, like I said, I don't care what the hell the movie that the documentary had to say, but they, they didn't even try to like debunk the film, which would have been the due diligence to do. No, instead they're just like, oh, this is being led to misinformation, ban it, you know, and they just flag it to YouTube and, uh, you know, and just want it taken down. And I mean, that speaks oodles against the uh, oodles. Yeah. It speaks so much against <laughs> journalistic institutions today. Why even bother calling them that? I mean, this isn't journalism anymore, nor is it even cloud storage. It's basically narrative control. Of course, that's probably what it's been for a very long time. Um, I mean, and that's that's the beauty of this. You know, it, it, it's an amazing thing because computers were such a had such a democratizing effect technology-wise, not as in democracy. Okay, it had such a democratizing effect empowered people in so many amazing ways. It's the ways I can, it's one of the ways that I can do this podcast. It's remarkable. Right. And I mean, it's sort of the underlying threat that I have felt with cloud computing and cloud storage for a long time. Granted, that's not necessarily any, you know, the, the idea of cloud computing and cloud storage isn't necessarily anything new, right? This is, you know, this is this, the classic difference between a thin client and a full client, right? Computers used to all be, you know, terminals that were thin clients that gave you access. Uh, you know, at one point you didn't have what would later be called a PC, right? A personal computer. Well, I mean, cloud computing and so on is actually going back to that. Now you might find this ironic because if we get to it in our, our you know, one of our questions, one of our listener questions uh, for this week has to do with Chromebooks, but Chromebooks, themselves, ironically, are no longer really thin clients. In fact, in many ways, if you get enough storage in them, they're quite the opposite. (laughs) They're becoming uh, uh, the most versatile personal computer in the world. And that's not to speak well of Google or of Chromebooks either. But I mean, well, I guess it doesn't speak well of them. But I mean, obviously, when it comes to privacy concerns, Chromebooks would be or level three privacy concerns, right? At the corporatist level, it'd be a problem. Um, but regardless, yeah, this is the threat is that you ultimately lose control of your ability to a create information, B share information, present it right. Or to have access to your own data to, and, and, and that becomes, you know, your own creation. The more you become reliant upon the cloud offerings, from Google and so on. And believe me, if you think that any other company would have told the Washington post, you know, to take a hike when we're requested. And when, when this content was flagged, no, of course they would do it too. And I'm sure that it's happened many times. Again, this is just a case where it was very high profile and you couldn't really avoid, you know, like it's a fact that couldn't be avoided And the Washington post. And this is the other part that's so bad too, is that the Washington post is basically saying this is a good thing that it's a great thing that, 
you know, a movie that you make or a video that you make or whatever, that you don't have control of its distribution in any way that, you know, they love the fact that they have the power to, you know, talk to Google and say, Hey, take this down. I mean, when, when Google complies with the Washington Post's uh, request, is that pro-consumer? Is that pro-user? No, of course it isn't. That should be seen as a problem. I've been saying for so long on this show that, you know, what's, what's, what, what are, what are the um, people are really into the whole buy local thing, right? Sure. That's fine. Uh, you know, I, I have no problem with that you know, or like, like keep it local or stay local, something like that, you know, where, where people want you to support local businesses or whatever. Well, here, support local data. The best data is local data. And, and it's, it's mind boggling to me because I mean, hard drives cost practically nothing, especially compared to what it costs often enough, unless it's a free version, especially compared to what it costs, uh, you know, to pay for, you know, Google's, uh, their drive offerings, or, I mean, Microsoft won't even let you have more than a terabyte anymore, no matter how much you pay uh, for OneDrive. It's just, it's far more cost effective to keep this stuff, you know, on your own. It's more cost effective, I think, frankly, in the long term to set up a NAS. And then you have decentralized distribution of this because, I mean, I mean yes, it, I mean, there's ways to set it up where this wouldn't be an issue, but if you wanted to share a link with people, there's plenty of software for, uh, you know, for network area storage where you can share the link over the internet and, and people could, you know, you could put it in a tweet, however you want to do it. It'd be just like a Google drive link and you could share the video that way. And ultimately no one could take it down other than on social media, you know, your tweet could get taken down or your Facebook post could get taken down or your YouTube video that links to it could get um, taken down, but make it hard for them but you've got to get it back to being local. That doesn't stop you from still doing, you know, from getting your message out there or whatever. And there are some messages that need to get out there. I'm not saying the pandemic's one of them, but whatever. Okay. Ultimately we've got to get your data out and away from any of the tech giants. Now, this is, this is the warning shot about that. And, it, and this is something, like I said, that was just a matter of time. But do it. Get your data local again. It's not an expensive affair, especially compared to what it costs to jump in on any of these subscription services, be it Microsoft 365 or whatever, from any of these companies. And every single one of them, I guarantee you, are going to do it. Jump on it. All right, I'll be right back. Jump on getting your data local. I'll be right back with more Sovereign Tech. Japanese volcano, four heavily armored black helicopters spin through the sky in a dance of death. Their target, one man in a flying arsenal that fits in two alligator suitcases. The odds, four to one. They haven't got a chance. Now. Sean Connery is James Bond in Ian Fleming's You Only Live Twice. Sean Connery, James Bond, 007, You Only Live Twice. An Albert R. Broccoli, Harry Salzman presentation in Panavision Technicolor from United Artists, a Transamerica company. You Only Live Twice and Twice is the only way to live. 
issues of privacy, security, and social engineering. It's HackSec. It is time for HackSec, where we, well, you know, we talk about, you hear the intro. <laughs> anyway, uh, got a doozy of a story here that drives home much like much has of this episode points that we have been making for some time. Um, this story actually got shared with me by my man One of the top dogs out. Well, <laughs> boy, you know, actually I read the story about wolves. We'll get to that later. <laughs> we'll get to that another time, <laughs> but one of the best out there that of course being Robin Freebeard, my co-host on TIE fighter renegades. And of course, whoo, my brother, baby. And this is a story. Well, let's just get into it. Let, let, let's read the headline here. It's coming from Intelligencer, which is part of uh, New York magazine, I guess. Uh, what it's, it's from June 8th, 2020. What it's like to get doxxed for taking a bike ride. And uh, here we go. By the standards of the pandemic. So this is in reference to something that occurred. Uh, well, there, there's a few different things that are occurring here. Both events, protests and COVID-19. Let's read it. By the standards of the pandemic, Thursday had been a normal day for Peter Weinberg, a 49-year-old finance marketing executive who worked from his home in Bethesda, Maryland, right outside of the District of Columbia, staying busy with Zoom meetings and the new ritual of our socially isolated world. Then around 10 p.m., he received an irate message on LinkedIn from someone he didn't know. He brushed it off thinking it was probably just spam. Then he got another and another. The third message was particularly strange as it mentioned something about the cops coming to find him. Perplexed, he watched as the messages continued to pile up. They were also similar, angry, threatening, accusatory. His profile views suddenly soared into the thousands. He began to panic. He decided to check Twitter. Although he'd had an account for more than a decade, Weinberg didn't use the social platform very much. He mostly followed mainstream news outlets, politicians from across the ideological spectrum, entrepreneurs, and financial analysts. He had what you might call low engagement but not anymore. In his mentions, disaster was rapidly unfolding. People accused him of assaulting a child, of being a racist. They shared a selfie he'd taken in sunglasses in his bike helmet and analyzed it alongside blurry images of another man in sunglasses and a bike helmet. The other guy had been captured on video hitting children and ramming his bike into an adult after becoming enraged that they were posting flyers around the Capitol Crescent Trail in support of George Floyd, the unarmed black man killed by white police officers officers in Minneapolis on Memorial Day. Weinberg hadn't seen the, vi the viral story about the trail where he regularly biked. He didn't know that for several days, the video had circulated online as law enforcement crowdsourced help in locating the suspect. Now that he had seen it, he didn't think he looked anything like this guy. He didn't, and he didn't understand why anyone thought he was him. Quote, you assaulted a little girl and other innocents because of your political beliefs. End quote. One Twitter user messaged him. Quote, hey, so are you a piece of shit who assaulted a, are you the piece of shit who assaulted a child in Maryland today on the bicycle trail? End quote. Asked another, hey, you, quote, hey, you racist bitch, we're coming for you. End quote. Quote, you deserve to pay. End quote. Quote, you're going, you're going down, you disgusting piece of shit. End quote. Quote, nice job assaulting a small child today. You need to be fired from your job immediately. End quote. Quote, you ugly racist bitch. End quote. 
There was a multitude of stallion breaking and there was a multitude of messages that he got. As he attempted to piece together what was happening, Weinberg called the number for a detective provided by the Maryland National Capital Park Police. Quote, we are seeking the public's assistance in identifying the below individual in reference to an assault that took place this morning on the Capitol Crescent Trail. Please contact uh, Detective Lopez with any information. End quote. Read a tweet sent June 2nd from the department and shared more than 55,000 times. But the park police had made an error. Quote, correction. The incident occurred yesterday morning. 6 1 2020 end quote they wrote in a follow-up tweet as with most such clarifications it had only a fraction of the reach a mere 2,000 shares it was based on that initial false information that weinberg had become a subs- a suspect for the internet mob to his surprise the app that he used to record his regular rides from bethesda into georgetown via the capital crescent Crescent Trail shared that information publicly, not just with his network of friends and followers. Someone had located a record of his ride on the path on June 2nd. Now, Stanley breaking in again. The event actually occurred on June 1st, but going on, matched it to the location of the assault from the video, matched his profile picture, white guy, aviator style sunglasses, helmet obscuring much of his head, to the man in the video and shared the hunch publicly. It took off. Weinberg didn't know what doxing meant, but it was happening to him. Someone posted his address. Uh, Detective Lopez didn't answer his call, but soon someone with the police department contacted Weinberg to let him know that officers would be patrolling the area around his home because he might be in danger. Detective Lopez reached him, uh, reached him around 11 p.m. and they agreed to meet the next morning. At 11.47, Weinberg tweeted, quote, I recently learned I have been misidentified in connection with a deeply disturbing attack. Please know this was not me. I have been in touch with the authorities and will continue to help any way possible, end quote. His fiance in New York, he spent the night alone, refreshing Twitter, watching helplessly as people tried to destroy his life. And Weinberg wasn't even the only one. Another man, a former Maryland cop, was wrongly accused too. The tweet accusing him was retweeted and liked more than half a million times. So the story goes on a little bit longer. We don't really necessarily have to get into it, but you get the picture. So what Weinberg was using was particularly a tracking, a fitness tracking app of sorts, or this one's particularly for runners and cyclists, and apparently it's the most popular, apparently. Um, But it's called Strava, okay? And this is available Android and iOS. It works with, obviously, the Apple Watch. It works with a lot of different wearables, um, including ones, I mean, basically, if it has a GPS, it more or less works with it. Like it even works with some Timex watches and everything. So this is a widely available, very popular uh, app that allows for some degree of social features within these, within that. Um, but anyway, so in that data was shared publicly. And again, it wasn't just with his network of friends and followers. Now it's very, I mean, to see how this happened, it's easy to see, Right. I think a lot of people want to say, well, that's why you shouldn't share your whatever information publicly, your fitness information publicly, or the, the, or the information say that comes from your uh, wearable, you know, be it the Apple watch or, or something else. Like I have the me fit. Uh, I don't wear it, but I, I do have one. And I, and I've talked about that in the past. I, I am very particular in how, when I do use that device, how I use it. It's certainly not for fitness because I think all the, and it's not because I'm not into fitness, quite the opposite. <laughs> I mean, the, the exact opposite. I work out 
five days a week, a couple hours a day, most of the time. Um, no, I'm very much into fitness. I just don't think these things work well for that and that they are more trouble than they're worth. And that's a point I've brought up many times. And basically this story proves the fucking point. Now you can say, well, he should have known better. Again, he shouldn't be sharing this publicly, whatever. Yeah, but you don't understand these apps, pretty much every single one of them. In, in fact, even fitness apps that don't work with a wearable. I mean, I could think of like fit plan and some of these other ones, all of them have a social component to them because they're all trying to be somewhat of a quasi social media platform at the same time that they are trying to help you track your fitness or, or whatever, which again, I really don't think they're fucking helpful for at all. Ultimately. And so, you know, I mean, and, and usually they will make the permissions and what gets done with your data, just like any other company. Okay. I mean, you know, the tech giants you would think would know better, but then they make control of your data fucking impossible. How do you think a little, you know, a, a smaller app, even though still, you know, a very popular one, how do you think a smaller app does as far as that goes? Of course they make it a mess. I mean, because they make plenty of money off of the data that, well, that they collect, but then also data perhaps um, that they can push on you based upon you allowing for data collection or data dispersal to be, you know, more open, right? Which is how basically uh, Weinberg ended up getting tracked or, you know, how, how he ended up getting uh, implicated, falsely implicated. Now, I, even I saw this video, okay, that, that happened uh, or, you know, where the, the two uh, young black gals, you know, ended up getting assaulted or, or however that went down. Um, even, I mean, that, that's how viral this was. Okay. Is, I mean, you, you couldn't basically, if you went online, you really couldn't miss, um, this story and in everything that's going on, COVID-19 protests, take your pick of the situation. You have a lot of people that, you know, have a hero complex and they are looking for an opportunity to be heroes or they're looking at an opportunity. They're looking at somebody that they can maybe get some frustration out on. Now the person, whoever it actually was. And as far as I know, they haven't actually found the person yet. The person who, uh, you know, who actually was the, for you know criminal terms, the perpetrator, the actual perpetrator, not Weinberg, and again, other people got, uh, got implicated, falsely implicated in this as well is unquestionably a piece of shit in my opinion. Okay. Like, I, I mean, just scumbag, uh, you got no argument for me on that. People wanting to do something about a guy like that, or, you know, wanting to help identify him at the request of the police, which is kind of ironic considering that you're like working with the police, but then you're wanting to defund Okay. Whatever. Um, <laughs> or maybe people do want to go a little vigilante about it. And that gets to one of my first points here is that even if Weinberg wasn't sharing his, uh, his Strava data publicly, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if somebody who's wanting to be a hero, rightly or wrongly is wanting to be a hero would go the extra level with their certain expertise, perhaps to try and find out uh, perhaps someone that you could consider more of a heroic hacker of sorts, perhaps 
would try to dig deeper and find out if you see if they could figure out who exactly that was. So even if Weinberg had protected his data a little better, I don't know that that necessarily would have protected him. My concern in all of this, first off, the obvious thing is that as we, it's practically a sovereign tech mantra, okay, that any and all data that you produce, that you create, can and will be used against you eventually. And it doesn't even necessarily have to be in a court of law. It can be in, as we said earlier, in the court of public opinion. And the court of public opinion right now isn't exactly perhaps always on the most peaceful side. And people are, I mean, tensions are so fucking high. And if you just go through Twitter, you can't help but notice that people are just looking for arguments or worse. But they are looking to get angry. They want to. They want to find something to lash out on and they lash, lash out at. What you thought was just a harmful or harmless, it was harmful, but what you thought was a harmless app and a harmless little device around your wrist. If the right people did something about this, if it was a slightly different scenario, Mr. Weinberg could be dead right now. And then, oh, you know, the police department comes out. Hey, we fucked up. We got the wrong date. Sorry. But clearly people online were already acting up. Now, it illustrates another point too: the fact that he's still alive, right? Certainly people have been killed for far lesser things. I'm not saying I agree with that. I don't believe in, uh, I, I have a real problem with lethality uh, that longtime listeners know. But this points at a couple of things. One is, is that the, the, the internet mob, I think that's a great point to, to, or a great way of putting it. The internet is inherently a, seems to be a reactionary medium. That's a problem. Okay. And the only reason I think that it hasn't basically brought on the downfall of civilization, and I mean the internet is because while it is a reactionary medium, the bulk of the people who react to the latest offense or atrocity or whatever are effectively keyboard warriors. And, you know, something, I don't want to steer too far off on this, but but I think this is important to bring up. I used to spend myself... Okay, first off, I'm thankful that Weinberg and even that other person who got uh, wrongly implicated, I'm, I'm glad they survived, okay, and that nothing happened to them. Uh, and I, I do get the sense that eventually probably somebody would have done something. They were probably already planning something, and they were just hoping, I don't know, ironically, again, that the police would do something about it. But I used to spend a lot of time, even on this show, responding to things that were said on the internet. Like somebody said something stupid on Facebook. <gasps> no. Yeah. <laughs> somebody said something stupid on Facebook. Can you believe it? Somebody said something stupid on social media. Somebody said something stupid on the internet amongst the billions of sites. Someone said something stupid. I mean, how could that be? 
I thought the internet was, you know, all about, yeah, this is the spread of information that's going to make everybody fucking brilliant and ethical and blah, blah, blah. Well, I guess that didn't happen, did it? But I would get into arguments and I, and I would use my show sometimes, this is years and years ago as a platform for like, uh, you know, when I used to be part more part of the libertarian crowd or whatever crowd, whatever ism you want to pick, uh, you know, where I would argue, well, that's not real ism. This is the real ism, blah, blah, blah. And I would go on a big show and, and it would be very popular. People would love it. I mean, I, some of these things, I think I still even have up on YouTube and uh, they have a significant amount of views, certainly at least for me. I mean, some in the four or five digits, uh, you know, I know that's nothing compared to angry video game nerd, but what the hell? Um, and they're still popular and I still get comments on these videos and still get reactions and whatever else. Okay. Or on this, it's basically just audio, but you, you get my point. And I eventually came to the conclusion, A, that most of the isms that I was, I, you know, identifying with to some degree were bullshit, but B, that all the people defending these isms and whatever arguing online all the time and yada, 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 and, and decrying this injustice and blah, blah, blah. We're just that basically keyboard warriors weren't really doing anything. I mean, they're just circle jerking online and see that really nothing was going to change when people, I mean, it's so funny, like these social media platforms, they've basically become uh, socially acceptable outlets for your rage, frustration, depression, other things. And because they're socially acceptable um, and because there is, there are very few consequences. And in fact, the consequences of like your account getting banned or something like that somehow makes you a fucking hero. Okay. <laughs> but basically these people are doing nothing. And in this case, I'm actually happy because again, a guy like Weinberg is still alive because these people Again, ultimately they're doing nothing. I mean, the powers that be, not that I believe in a new world order, but I mean, there are certainly multiple, multiple, got that word, multiple groups that uh, are certainly interested in garnering more power in this world. Okay. And some of them, we probably don't know their names. They got to love this. Oh yeah, no, they're never going to let social media fall out of fashion. Keep using social media. Keep using it because while you're too busy flapping your yap on there, you know, the, the, <laughs> I mean, it, it actually, it reminds me of a picture, a classic picture, a picture that I think centuries from now, if humanity's still around centuries from now, people will be talking about. And that picture is when I think it was one of the Facebook events when they were showing off the new Oculus and you had all, all the journalists and everybody there all wearing their Oculus headsets, all wearing their VR headsets and just kind of looking around, looking like idiots. I'm not necessarily knocking VR technology, but you, you get what I'm saying. And Mark Zuckerberg just walks and they're oblivious that Mark Zuckerberg is right next to them. When normally this guy would probably have, you know, bodyguards all over him or whatever the fuck. And he just walks serenely, amongst the plebes wearing their VR headsets. And I think that that's, I mean, it, it, social media, 
you know, basically complaining on social media or pretending that you're doing something on social media is ultimately because it's the digital corollary to voting because voting doesn't do jack shit. I hope that becomes, you know, apparent to you or that's already become apparent to you if it wasn't in the first place. And if anything, it fosters clearly more, more of a mob mentality than less. And I'm in awe that this story, no, I'm not in awe that the story didn't suggest this. I am in awe that very few people bothered to consider, gee, maybe I shouldn't wear one of these fitness trackers anymore. Maybe I shouldn't rock this Apple watch anymore. Look what the fuck they're tracking me. And now grant you the smartphone, the same exact thing could be done. Right. And actually that, that very app Strava can work, I think with just the smartphone, uh, if you want it to. So you got to consider that far and go that far as well. But in these very extreme times, that we live in where everything is heightened and at a fever pitch for people. Uh, I mean, you really, you've got to think about what data is being collected about me. Where is it going? What could be done with it? How could I get away from even creating more data? I mean, huh. I say this to plenty of people in real life, but boy, what I would give if people would, you know, I, I, what, what was the old cry that people would do based off of, I don't know, whatever book, 1984 or something like that. I'm sure there's a book that it actually comes from reading books helps too, folks, but I am not a number. If you want to strike at the root of some of these problems, how about you know, and, and I mean, I mean, cause look, look, this is an accident and I get it that it was an accident, but it could have been lethal. This guy and others could have easily been dead all because the police reported the wrong fucking date and somebody decided to, for some reason, help out the police and, you know, try and, uh, I mean, and you want to say, well, are the police ultimately the problem? Well, sure. But I mean, that that's another conversation to be had, but there is a world that we exist within and to survive in this world, especially right now, let me tell you, your rallying cry should be, I refuse to be a data point. I am not a data point. I'm a human being. God damn it. And you're going to have to either like eliminate the collection of data on you, which whatever, you know, however that takes shape for everybody. And we all have different tolerances and things that we need to do perhaps to survive or to work or whatever. Okay. I understand that, but you better take a good hard look at everything you're putting out there because all it takes is one intrepid Twitter user to suddenly say, Hey, I found the guy go get him. And it's just, even if he, even if the person just said, Hey, I've, I've got, I, I have a hunch that it's this guy, the mob will react. And you are frankly going to be lucky if you make it out alive. That's where we're at with all of this. And this is the, I mean, you know, we could talk about the potential malicious use by, you know, the corporate system, by governments or, you know, whoever 
uh, you know, to use your data against you eventually or in a court of law or blah, blah, blah. But look, again, it's not a surveillance state. It's a surveillance society. And it is always, always operating against you because even if I love it because people are like, well, I mean, did, did, uh, did what's his name? Peter Weinberg here. Was it Peter? Did, did he do something wrong? No, Peter Weinberg didn't do anything wrong. Just a 49 year old guy who goes for a bike ride or something like that on, on, on a trail. You don't have any, that, that's what everybody tells you, right? Well, if you have nothing to hide, what are you worried about? I'm worried about the fact that I can get falsely implicated based upon data when the police spread bullshit, when the police are wrong. It doesn't have to be anything nefarious. It doesn't have to be a new world order grandmaster plan using your data against you. It can be as simple as the fact that humans in groups do not act with intellect and that the mob, especially right now, is fucking nuts and is just looking for somebody to blame, looking for somebody to take all this rage out on because they sure as hell won't strike at the root for anything. But if you happen to be a white guy that just so happens to be riding your bike, oh, oh, oh daddy, you are done. Brian, why won't you carry your smartphone with you? Because I don't want that. I don't even want to give people the chance. I want to live, God damn it. Computers don't lie. Well, people do, and people ultimately decide what gets done with this data. If you don't mind, I'm not going to feed the machine. Thank you. I don't know how many more cases that we have to bring up until people finally say, holy shit, all of this data. I mean, because look, I mean, this is the other thing too. You know, I, 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 I hear so many tech journalists, so many tech journalists who are like, well, the it's privacy is not really the problem. Okay. It's not the fact that these companies are collecting data about you. The problem and the problem is, is that it can be used against you in a court of law. No jackass. The problem is, is that somebody, some asshat on Twitter can basically come out and just claim whatever they want that I did X, Y, Z, and then the fucking mobs coming. This isn't just about a court of law. This is about the fact that the bulk of humanity is a bunch of goddamn morons. And you know it, I know it. And it's time to start protecting yourself. You don't need a gun. You don't, 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 don't go there. Don't think about any of that horseshit. But for fuck's sake, at the very least, protect your data. Protect what gets projected out there about you. Leave the smartphone at home. Leave the smartwatch at home. I, I mean, what? Look, I'm not going to say Peter Weinberg was a dumb guy or whatever. I mean, I, I get it. That, I mean, whatever, that he didn't understand. But fine, then. We've learned the lesson from Peter Weinberg, okay? You want to know how well you did on a bike ride? Are you sweating? Is your, is your heart beating pretty fast? You put your fingers to your neck. You're feeling pretty good. Okay, you had a good exercise. You don't need an Apple Watch to tell you that. And the very fact that you're not carrying one, wearing one, whatever, could fucking save your life. It's so ironic that Apple, oh, they bring up every story, and we've talked about some of them. They bring up every story that they can where, oh, well, because this had a heart meter on the Apple Watch, oh, it saved this little boy's life. Oh, little Johnny got saved. Oh, oh, Jesus, come down. Oh, ha. I mean, Tim Cook. I'm sure that's what he thinks he is. No. You want to save your life? Don't use their shit. 
How many more stories do we need? People falsely accused of rape, of all these other things, all because there is enough data that reasonably maybe might implicate. But then you know what happens? Then the police come out and say, well, actually, it happened X, Y, Z, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then other data comes out. Actually, it was here. And then the person gets, you know, uh, exonerated, perhaps, at best. But then what happens? His reputation, everything that he is, is fucking ruined after the fact. I'm not here to defend rapists for two seconds. And, you know, and, and I and don't miss, don't. Confuse me. I believe women. Okay. But for fuck's sake, don't even give the system or all these morons around us the fucking chance. There's no such thing as perfect safety in the world. That that's a fact. There's no such thing as, as perfect safety and to even really try for it. Uh, well, there's a rock to roll up a mountain that I could, uh, that, that I could interest you in perhaps. But there are certainly very simple things that you can do that can lessen the chances that, 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 can, that again, don't feed the machine or the mob mentality. Glad this guy's alive. I hope this convinces some people. I don't know. I don't imagine this story got as much, uh, much coverage as, uh, as that video or the person who said, Oh, I found the guy, even though now I'm dead wrong. And apparently the guy did apologize. But again, once it's already out there, I mean, people don't read past the headline. Once they got the headline, once they got the, you know, the big news, then it's, it's all over, right? Nobody pays attention anymore. They never go into the details. They never read into and They never read the fine print. They never follow up. They never do any of that stuff because people are not just morons. They're fucking lazy. Don't be them. Do everything you can to keep out of their fucking sights. I'll be back with more Sovereign Tech. We'll try and have some fun. From Big Finish Productions, Blake 7, the classic audio adventures. I'm taking Liberator in on manual. We'll be in teleport range in two minutes. What the hell was that? Information. Liberator has been attacked. You don't say. Put up the force wall. Confirm. Message to all ground commanders. Initiate the final phase. Let's crush these rebels once and for all. My name is Avon. Kerr-Avon. Kerr-Avon. Our hostage arrives, which you may be unnecessary. As a hostage, it's nice to be superfluous. You can go to Blake7.com to find more of the new adventures of one of science fiction's greatest masterpieces. Blake7 at Blake7.com. Your questions, the man of tomorrow's answers. Email questions at sovereigntech.com. Time for important messages. It is time for some, uh, well, we got some listener questions here to get into. And holy shit. Anyway, I got to calm down. <laughs> So 
I got a great question and it's relevant to much of what we were talking about in episode 379, uh, where basically I was saying, Hey, you know what, get, get the hell away from, you know, from windows machines, which we've, we've actually been saying all year, really, we've been saying for a long time, but now, I mean, Microsoft is fucking up the update process and so much with windows so hard lately that people are really starting to get the picture that, wow, we got to get away from this. Um, so in the telegram group for sovereign tech, and of course, if you want to join that, I recommend you do, uh, feel free to the, the link is all over in the show notes. You can't miss it. You just have to have telegram installed. You hit that link and bammo away you go. You're there. Um, but anyway, it got asked, uh, by a brilliant listener. He was wondering, Hey, you know, does he was kind of crowdsourcing, uh, in the group, you know, does anybody here regularly use a Chromebook, et cetera? Um, and, and he was looking for tips on, you know, what's what, which one would you get? What's the best one? Um, and I actually, I did have a question for a while about what's the best Linux machine. And I do want to get into that. There's a conversation to be had around how to do a Linux machine, right? As far as hardware, I think, um, but we'll save that for another week, but to play off of, you know, recent conversation, I think it'd be interesting to get into, okay, how about a Chromebook? Now let us be clear here that Chromebooks exist as far as Chromebooks are incredibly secure platforms. Okay. Uh, of course I responded to the listener and said, yeah, no, I use one often, especially when, uh, historically when I would travel, um, I would take it with me because it is a remarkably secure platform. Okay. Now security has on sovereign tech. Anyway, we have multiple threat levels, right? We actually have four. The first three are what really matter. Uh, you know, a uh, threat level number one is just like your everyday person, you know, whatever. Okay. Uh, or maybe your everyday, you know, hacker or somebody who are quote unquote cracker hackers are heroes in my opinion. Uh, but your malicious actor that might be trying to, I don't know, grab credit card numbers or, or something, uh, while you're at the coffee shop. Okay. Then you have, uh, then you have level two, which is, you know, basically between companies, right? This is more like industrial espionage, things like that. And then you have level three. Okay. And, and again, you're protecting from each of these different, uh, uh, you know, actors, uh, level of actors, of bad actors within these levels. Level three would be government level. Now level three, obviously things become very difficult. Chromebooks generally are not going to protect you from level three, or at the very least, it's not going to protect you from the U S government. Okay. And so I make that very clear, but between level one and level two, which for the average person is a great place to have, you know, privacy and security and, you know, really top level protection, even there, Chromebooks are actually great for that. Okay. And they make it very simple. And they're also great about being regularly updated and so on, because there is a process that hardware has to go through that Google has to approve before they even let you sell uh, a laptop that, or desktop even that has Chrome OS on it. Okay. So there is an argument to be made for, from a security and a privacy standpoint up to level two for Chromebooks, where they are very, very good for that. And obviously they're also very easy to use. And so it becomes a great thing for, you know, even perhaps uh, not so tech savvy or computer literate, uh, uh, say family members, friends, whatever. And also there's the point that they're pretty much inexpensive. So if you were wanting to get a Chromebook, because again, also as we, and this is what brought it up last week is now, or come this fall, basically depending upon the Chromebook you get. Okay. And like if it's in the enterprise space or whatever, you, Chromebooks can run windows software, Linux software, they have the Google play store. So they run most Android apps, not all, 
but most Android apps. And then there's, you know, the Chrome web browser and everything else. And also actually, I mean, as, as I've talked about in recent episodes of Sovereign Tech, uh, Chromebooks can now run a, because they can run Linux apps, can run a full version of the Tor browser on there, which I think is, you know, a nice feature. Okay. Um, also actually Tails and, you know, I was going to bring this up like with Linux. Um, a lot of them can make great Linux machines and can make actually a great Tails machine now that Tails, uh, ever since version was a 4.5, can now uh, boot up even with secure boot turned on, which is part of these security features that makes a Chromebook worthwhile. Um, so again, your mileage may vary or, or, you know, your results may vary, I should say, based on what model that you end up getting. But there's a lot. I mean, it's a very attractive little package. And also, as I, as I theorized, like there's the possibility in the future because Chrome OS is baking in parallel software that allows it to run windows software. They might just flip the switch to say, yeah, now you can run Mac software too. I mean, Apple's going to flip out, but I'm sure Google doesn't mind that, <laughs> you know? So, so this becomes a platform that's very, you know, very secure, very private up to level two, up to threat level two that can run a lot of, a lot of software. In fact, I, I think I even saw, uh, and I, I love this, granted these things, you know, get ported to everything from a smartwatch to, to you know, to, to toasters with a screen on them. Um, but like if you buy a Chromebook now, I think someone shared this in the Telegram, Sovereign Tech Telegram group. Uh, they give you a copy of Doom 1 and Doom 2 for free. That's fucking great. <laughs> Hell yeah. I, I still play those games all the time on my, on my Switch. Uh, but anyway, so as far as the best Chromebooks, here are the two things that you run into with Chromebooks is that... On the lower end, often oftentimes they don't have enough RAM. Now I consider today, and I'm not saying that it should be this way, but it is how it is. Today, you should have at least eight gig of RAM on your computer. Your lower end Chromebooks, a lot of them will only have four. That's unfortunate. It's enough to get by, but you open up a bunch of tabs and you're going to run into trouble. Okay. Um, and the other, the, most of the processors are okay. Usually they're lower end. Sometimes it's even a MediaTek processor. Those aren't necessarily okay. But sometimes it's like an Intel N4000 or something along those lines. They operate effectively as a quad core. I mean, it's not a, you know, it's not a Coffee Lake i9 or anything, but, it, you know, it, it does the job. If you can get one that has, say, a higher end Ryzen processor or even an i3 or an i5, or an i7, which those do exist. I mean, great. Then, then of course you're going to do far better as far as performance goes um, with that. But RAM becomes a main concern with most Chromebooks. And if you're any kind of power user and then storage space becomes an issue, 32 gigs of storage on a Chromebook is still basically the standard. There are, a, that is changing. There are a lot of Chromebooks that offer 64 gig or 128 gig, but 32 gig is still basically the standard. Now that's fine. If you, you know, basically just want to run again, basic Chrome OS, right. And maybe a couple of apps. But the thing is, is that Chrome OS is becoming somewhat of a gaming platform. In fact, that's where it gets really interesting with having the Google play store is that there are some mobile games like star Wars, Knights of the Old Republic or whatever, some of them classic being, but I mean, you could play them, but those will take up gigs of space. So now you, now most of these Chromebooks will come with a micro SD card and you can kind of expand that. And Chrome OS has continued to expand app, uh, Android app and Linux software capability to access the SD card. 
Okay. Expanded storage, but that doesn't always, that doesn't always work. So you really do much like you would with any other laptop. In my opinion, you basically want to get something that it has at least 64 gig on board. Uh, if you can get 128, great. If you can do even more dynamite, but then you definitely get into, you know, the, the much higher end. Um, as far as the models that I would recommend, I'm going to give you two. Okay. To, to, to think about one, if you can find it is the Asus, which I am a, I mean, my Chromebook is an Asus. It's not this one. It's kind of a, it's kind of a, well, so you have, it's the Asus Chromebook flip C436 FA. So the C436 is the successor to the C434, which has for many years been considered the best, especially bang for your buck, but the best, and they run about 500 bucks, uh, the best Chromebook out there. Great. I mean, you know, like all metal chassis, you know, great design, everything you could want, you know, great, great hardware specs, like they would have an i5 or an i7 on them and so on. Uh, and they, they would really do the job. And it's a, it's called the flip because it can be a tablet as well as a, you know, standard laptop. Now I have something that's kind of in the middle of that, uh, which is like, basically it's the flip, but without the flipping feature. All right. And it's a fine Chromebook, but for the price, the price difference, uh, anyway, so the best thing going out there right now is the C uh, the C 434 successor, that being the C 436. Uh, this thing is a beast and I think you can get up to like a terabyte hard drive on it. You can get it with the I five or the I seven. You can even get it with like 16 gig of Ram. I mean, to say nothing of eight, you're going to pay a premium for it. You're looking at base model around 500 bucks. And when you want to add in a bunch of other stuff, uh, or, you know, maybe some higher, more Ram and so on, uh, you're definitely, you could be kissing a thousand dollars pretty quickly, but you're getting an incredible machine. And the argument, the longstanding argument with why would I need that much horsepower if I'm just running a web browser? Obviously that's that look, that's just not true anymore. Chromebook is, or Chrome OS is not just a web browser any longer with, with some fancy Chrome apps. No, now it is again, it's Android software. It's going to be windows software. It's also Linux software. Um, this is a fully, that's not a thin client anymore. This is a fully off. This can be a fully offline machine if you wanted it to be. Okay. And I mean, the argument for using a Chromebook, especially based on the conversation we were just having about the doxing of Peter Weinberg. Um, you know, not wanting to carry around a phone or relying less on your phone. The fact that you can install a lot of Android apps that you think like say banking apps and some others, and not all work, but most do. But basically, you know, if you think you need this certain, you know, app that is only on mobile, uh, a Chromebook becomes a laptop that actually can run that app very well. And then you don't need to, you know, have it on your smartphone. And that's the less, because even if you feel like, yeah, but I really need my smartphone. I really need to carry it around with me, blah, blah, blah. But you see, then your, your, your smartphone is collecting less data about you. If you have the app on your Chromebook that just sits at home instead of being in your pocket at all times following you around. So it becomes a very attractive package and a very attractive option as far as that goes in, in just in the fact that it gets you away from your smartphone, because I'm not going to recommend you use iOS. Uh, I mean, we could talk about, you know, throwing graphene OS on a pixel three a, I mean, that's, that's great. Like it's totally great. You know, I'm a, I'm a hundred percent supportive of that, but for, you know, the average person, I think this is a real solution. 
Um, so the C, the Asus uh, Flip C436, definitely, I mean, it's better than anything Google even makes, especially on build quality. Uh, I think it's the best thing running out there. Uh, so you could jump on that. If you're wanting to go sub $300, and in fact, I've seen this sell for closer to two as well. Um, it's fairly new and it's from Lenovo. Uh, and I, I, I mean, it doesn't have like the C 436 is backlit keyboard, all these other, all this other fanciness, but I think this still has some nice things going for it. And that is, um, it's, oh fuck, what, what is the title? The C340. See, these all have the same numbers. C, of course, stands for Chromebook with any of these models and distributors uh, or manufacturers. So it's the Lenovo Chromebook C340. Now this, I like a lot. The, the flip, the Asus flip is a 14 inch uh, laptop. This is an 11 inch laptop. I like that small size. I keep a specific Asus computer Actually, and by the way, I don't think I said it earlier. Uh, Asus is really my brand of choice with any laptop. Um, I have like three of them, <laughs> all of differing purpose and design, and and most of them are pretty cheap too. But you know, they they really deliver. Um, anyway, so the the Lenovo Chrome, the C three forty. I mean, it has a seven twenty p screen. That kind of sucks. That's really the only thing that that I would is kind of disappointing four gig of Ram. Yeah. That's a little disappointing too, but it does have the 64 gig of onboard storage. Uh, it has an Intel UHD graphics 600. That's fine. I mean, yeah, it's not the 620 or whatever, but that, that will definitely do many a job, uh, full size keyboard, good, good looking keyboard it does not have, uh, it's not backlit. If you're a touch typist like me, where you don't even need that, that's fine. In fact, I'm actually minus a couple of companies. I hate backlit keyboards now. Um, because in the day, like they make the backlight where the, the keyboard lettering, like usually the computer will be a gray or something because everybody's copying Apple, unfortunately. Um, but it'll be like the, I mean, it's, it's basically a translucent letter. And even if you want to see it or say it's a function key or something, which all of those are different on any keyboard you touch, you can't see them during the day. And so <laughs> like it kind of defeats the purpose of having a supposedly more visible keyboard. So that actually annoys me. So, so I like the fact I, this is almost a plus that it doesn't have a backlight on it. Um, touchpad looks good. I mean, this is, and, and I think it can actually, it can go flat. I don't think you can flip it around all the way, but maybe you can get it into a tablet mode. But I think the, if you want sub 300, like right here, I see a listing for it at 286. Um, the C340 absolute winner is as far as a Chromebook goes, and it will run all of the things that I talked about. Uh, so, I mean, and, and good port selection, uh, even though I think they took out the HDMI on this one, that's a little disappointing, but it does have USB-C. So you could hook up a USB-C adapter, then you could have Ethernet and you could have HDMI and all that all in one little kit, uh, which I always keep one of one of those around with me as well. Um, so yeah, there you go. The, the, either the Lenovo C340 or the Asus C436, uh, flip, either of those are going to do you great. All right. We'll be right back with some more Sovereign Tech. Hello, Sovereignati. As you know, Sovereign Tech proudly no longer puts content behind a paywall and makes thousands of hours and episodes available to you totally for free. But if you feel that stirring in your cockles or that special feeling in your heart, I beseech you, nay, I implore you 
to help the show out by donating. Frequenting our sponsors is key, but donations from listeners like you has always made the show go round and round. You can go to SovereignTech.com to set up an automatic monthly donation, or you can donate via the Bitcoin address in the show notes. And now you can even donate with the Cash app at cash.app and use the money tag Sovereign Tech. So many ways to help out the show, and I'm honored by all of it, allowing us to build and be the future. Now, let's get back to the show. Now entering the gaming grid. The latest gaming news, reviews, and retro culture, as only the man of tomorrow can deliver. And here is your host, Brian Sovereign. All right, now we really get to have fun because <laughs> we're going to talk video games, baby, and uh, not going to complain like we did about the uh, Sega Game Gear Micro. Uh, no, this is actually I got it. I have a little review that I would like to share with you uh, of a game that I am so impressed with. And I have, uh, you know, in, in my rare and I assure you, they're quite rare in my rare free moments, either from work or fucking or what what have you. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I, this game's amazing. And the other beauty of it is that a lot of times I feel like on the gaming grid, I will talk about switch games because basically, you know, I mean like that's my gaming platform of choice, you know? And so I end up talking a lot about that, which by the way, I mean, I pre-ordered it. I mean, it was only five bucks. I am so excited to have Duke Nukem, uh, 3d 20th anniversary edition on, switch that's that's dynamite to have that mobile baby uh i've had it on my laptop i've had it on pc on steam uh ever since the day it came out i mean i'm, I'm such a fan of duke uh in fact a couple of great listeners were in as soon as the announcement hop dropped that it was going to come out on june 23rd everybody's like oh you know message the stallion gotta let him know there's a new there's some new duke coming uh even though not entirely new but you, you get my point and i understood where they were coming from um but very exciting for that. So that's certainly something I'll check out and we'll review my experience on switch. Cause, and actually I don't think I ever did a full review of the 20th anniversary edition of it. Uh, even though basically I, I can almost tell you it'll be glowing, even though we'll, we'll get into more on that. Uh, but that's not what I'm here to talk about right now. Uh, what we have is, and, and this is, this game is such a shock. It just dropped maybe a couple weeks ago. And again, it's on every platform. I mean, and even mobile, if you're still going to rock that, uh, or I guess you could play it on a Chromebook if you wanted. Um, but it's on steam. It's on, I mean, on iOS, Android. Um, I think it's on every console, not just switch. It's on, you know, X bone and, and PS4 and whatever. The game is a, I, I guess you could say a remake of one of my favorite games of all time. And it's missile command reloaded course it's a remake of the original missile command from 1980 now to understand i mean i i and and the amazing thing is you can get this game i think it's like maybe two three dollars depending on if you got it while it was on sale or something but even full price it's only three bucks okay this is 
yeah, I mean, because like there have been some other Atari remakes or reboots of franchises as late, like there was Pong Quest, which don't. Um, and in a lot of these reboots of say classic franchises or restarts to, or remakes of uh, or relaunches perhaps of classic franchises, what you'll often run into is they try to bring in some modern gaming element, right? Where they will turn somehow they tried to turn Pong into an RPG. I'm not kidding. No, I mean, I guess I could imagine where that could work, but they certainly didn't achieve it. Um, or, or there's others where like Pac-Man suddenly becomes basically uh, like in, what was it? Pac-Man world or whatever. I have those games for PS2 uh, where they tried to turn him into like Sonic adventure, you know, but it's Pac-Man. It's like, no, come on. It's fucking Pac-Man. Not that they're, they actually weren't that bad at games, but you get my point. This is a game so minimalist in its remake. <laughs> I think it's perfect. I think it's, it's absolutely perfect. Now. I, I mean, I I've been playing missile command, uh, ever since, well, I played it in arcades, uh, and I played it on the, you know, of course on the Atari 2600, I played it on Game Boy. I remember even having it on my links. Woo. There you go. Um, this is one of Atari's top games and a rare game for Atari because Nolan Bushnell was famous and I applaud him for this was famous really for not wanting his games to be violent or any game that Atari made to be like inherently violent. And this is about, I mean, it's, it's classic style gameplay. It's kind of uh, like the, it's, it's very OG tower defense. That's it's not that complex, but you know, you can shoot missiles are coming down and you get to send countermeasures against those missiles or, you know, counter missiles against those missiles and so on. And I guess maybe because it was just fighting missiles with missiles that Nolan Bushnell thought, okay, fine. Nobody's really dying. Even though if the missiles do happen to hit the homes, Hmm. Anyway, <laughs> it's a classic game, uh, a gameplay style. Really? I don't think that's ever been replicated. I mean, it's a very unique, very simple game to play. That's the other beauty of Missile Command is basically anybody can pick it up and start rocking it. But Missile Command Reloaded, yeah, you know, they gave it some neon flash. You know, they tried to give it some retro synth wave flare and everything. And all that looks very, very nice. Like, I really think it actually is a very nice presentation. But ultimately, while they added in some things, like now you can, like, there'll be uh, across the top of the screen when the missiles are coming down that you need to shoot out of the sky, there will be like a little, th- uh, uh, I don't know, like a balloon or not a balloon, but like a, a ball come across that'll, that'll have like the letter B or the letter S one of the, if you hit it when it's S it'll give you a shield. If you hit it when it's B, it'll be a bomb. that will blow up all the missiles in the sky and everything. And so they added in little touches like that. And you know, in how little they changed the gameplay, I think is its brilliance. And they basically just made it, you know, uh, I mean, I'm sure you could get an Atari collection that would have it on there, but I think part of the genius, and I got to give them credit for this part of the genius in re-release in Atari re-releasing this, not that Atari today is anything of what, you know, was Nolan Bushnell's that name has changed hands over and over again. But anyway, the genius here is that it really is a game and you couldn't have necessarily imagined it in 1980. But today you can, it is a game that actually lends itself very well to touch, you know, to touch controls. Um, I mean, it's a little slower with touch controls, but there's not really anything lost in translation. You just tap your finger at the missile that's coming down that you want to send your countermeasure after or your counter missile after. 
it really is a nice move. And I think that's why it works so well across so many different uh, uh, platforms. Okay. Uh, you know, it can work on mobile. It can work on the switch, it can work on PC and so on because the PC, you could use the mouse, which is a great way to go about it far better than the joystick. Um, I was impressed with the switch version because of the switch, you have a touch screen, right? With the, the switch in mobile mode. And so you can actually play it both ways. So you can play it with where you can use touch but then if you want to be, have a little more precision on the switch, the, you know, X B, or the Y, B and A buttons, each one of those will control one of the three towers that you have that you can launch countermeasures from as to where if you just use touch, it launches all the, all three missiles, all three counter missiles at once. Uh, so I thought that was a nice move. There's, I mean, there's leaderboards and little things that they've built in like that. And you can get upgrades that make your, uh, you know, your, your missile towers, uh, operate, you know, shoot faster or something like that. All of those are very nice touches, but it's all very simple touches that make sense that just enhance the gameplay and do nothing to change it. And that's the, that's, what's so perfect about this. Um, I mean, you know, are you going to replay it a lot? Maybe not after you go through what, you know, counts for a campaign on it, unless you want to like go up the, the leaderboards a bit or something like that. But I think, you know, when you got some free time and you just want to rock it out and for only $3, I mean, that's almost like no risk. It might as well be free, <laughs> you know, at that, like at that, at that point, um, I think it's totally worth it. Uh, I just love having missile command in such a, you know, available in so many modern formats. Um, and it does, again, the touch controls really do work. I, I tried it out on my uh, iPod touch and it worked beautifully on that. And it was a lot of fun to even do that way. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, for what the game is, again, if I give it a 10 out of 10, granted, you can't really compare it to, you know, Breath of the Wild or something, but I'd easily give this a 10 out of 10, you know? And in fact, because I don't want you, I mean, it, I guess it would have been nice if you could have had like some more direct multiplayer somehow that could have been interesting and I wouldn't have been opposed to that, but no, I think they did. They did it just right. They enhanced it just a little to give it a little something fresh and a little something to work towards, but they didn't alter the gameplay at all because really, I mean, part of the reason I think that, that a lot of people haven't made other games like Missile Command is because Missile Command, it's so simple in execution. It's already perfect as is. It was perfect in 1980, you know, and, and just adding in a little flair. Okay, fine. Um, the only other game I think that, that, that really did this well, if you remember, I want to say this came out in 1997 for the PlayStation one. Maybe it came out for N64 as well, but there was a remake of asteroids at the time, which I thought was great where it gave you the option. Uh, I mean, it gave it a little story mode, just a little bit, you know, to give you a purpose, I guess <laughs> when you played it, because you used to have to make it up for yourself where you had to sing that song. Asteroids. Yeah, I know that one. Uh, used to have the tape. Thank you. But on PlayStation, and it would have like different ships that had different capabilities and you could upgrade the ships a little bit. Again, just that little touch. Don't change the gameplay. The gameplay is already perfect. You don't have to add in, you know, uh, turn it into an RPG or into an RTS or, or a first person shooter or whatever. Just enhance the gameplay, you know, a little bit, give people some customization options or some upgrade options. And, you know, as they progress something that, that gives them the feeling of progression and then, you know, that's good enough. And that's what they did with that asteroids game back in, maybe it was 97 or 98. I don't recall, but it's for the PlayStation one. I thought it was genius. In fact, I need to get it for my PS2. I'll remember that anyway. So, but if you want to pick up something fun right now, grab missile command. 
uh, missile command reloaded specifically. Again, it's available pretty much everywhere. So you got your shot. Uh, you know, you got your choice of, of, of what you, you know, what you want to play it on. And even frankly, I mean, I've already bought the game like two times over because I mean, for only two ninety nine, <laughs> you know, sure. I'll have it on the platform that I want to play it on. Cause it, I mean, it's a great little, you know, if you got a little bit of time and you just want to do something a little mindless, but that is engaging at the same time, I think it works very well for that. So missile command reloaded, I'd easily give it a 10. I mean, I just, for what it is, I mean, yes, you don't, you can't compare it to Mario Odyssey or breath of the wild or dragon quest 11 or whatever, but it, for what it is, it is genius and brilliant and plays just as well today as it did amazingly 40 years ago. So pick it up. Missile Command Reloaded. We'll be right back with more Sovereign Tech. Game over. Journey into the far reaches of aqua space. Attention. Security brief. Brace for impact. Seal out of doors. Rig for collision. Launch countermeasures. From Steven Spielberg's Amblin Entertainment Inc. and Universal Television comes a journey into the future and beneath the sea. Roy Scheider stars in Sequest DSV. You can watch Sequest by downloading it from your favorite torrent site or getting it on glorious DVD. For beneath the surface lies the future. Album of the week. So we haven't done album of the week, I think in a couple weeks at least. So I'm actually going to give you two albums. Granted, they're technically EPs, so they're on the shorter side. Uh, I think there's six tracks of pop. Uh, yes, that is true. Uh, but this is something I've been wanting to share with you for a little while. I heard an interview with uh, Le Champion, Chris Jericho, on the Eddie Trunk Show, one of my favorite podcasts. And on there, he was talking about how he, uh, like a lot of musicians are, while they are quarantined or whatever, are making music at home. Okay, great. So he started a quasi-band called Quarantine, but it's spelled with a K. And they started off, his goal with this band was to do uh, Kiss songs. Of course, Kiss being my favorite band of all time. White Snake's almost there, but anyway, Kiss. Uh, and But he wants to do only 80 songs. Now, that's great, and that's something I love about Jericho, actually, is that, like me, he grew up with 80s Kiss, and his first exposure to Kiss was in the 80s without the makeup. And he fell in love with that music first and then, you know, kind of dug what came in the seventies. I'm the same way with kiss is that, yeah, I love the eighties kiss and some of the nineties, but then, and I mean, I love psycho circus and, and monster and you know, all those, I, I mean, big, big fan uh, of everything basically that they do. Even, I mean, I even liked elder. Okay. <laughs> um, but you know, yeah, 80s Kiss will just always be my top. And so I appreciate they came out with a song. Now, this is not my pick. of the, This is not uh, the album of the week. But they came out with one song. They did No, No, No off of Crazy Nights. Great song. Underrated. I mean, that whole album's underrated, frankly, in America. In the UK, I guess, was a big deal. But in the United States, it's terribly underrated. Uh, and it was actually the first album that I remember hearing. I could sing. I've, I've been singing this, the like the whole lyrics and, you know, the song Crazy Nights. Uh, not just the, you know, not just the chorus either. I mean, the whole damn song since I was like six years old. Um, 
So him doing no, no, no was really cool. But now when he and Eddie Trunk were talking, he mentioned that his guitarist was a guy from a band called Classic 78. Now, Classic is spelled K-L-A-S-S-I-K, not classic like you normally think, right? And then the number 78. Classic 78 is a band that started in 2017 where their entire goal was to basically make, they're not Kiss, but they wanted to make Kiss music that sounded like something that would have initially came after like rock and roll over right back in, you know, 77 and 78. So because kiss fans, you know, I mean, and, and this was a big deal back in the seventies. I mean, I wasn't even alive yet, but you know, I, I know my history. So in 79, when, I mean, you had double platinum come out and you had uh, dynasty come out and you had the four solo records and everything. I mean, basically, especially with dynasty kiss, for those fans who were fans of Dress to Kill, you know, Rock and Roll Over, Destroyer, and so on, uh, that classic Kiss sound, as it were, now you can see where the band calls itself classic with the K for Kiss, you know, that band, a Kiss at that time, I mean, they changed their sound and they would continue to change their sound for a very long time. And even when you would get to Psycho Circus in 96, when the band would all get back together, uh, or I guess they came out in 98, right? Anyway, when they would all get back together, like it still didn't sound like classic kiss. That's because they had changed and grown as musicians. And I would argue they became better musicians, but I do understand where people come from that they want to, I mean, because for a long time, kiss basically played everything pre pre dynasty. They wouldn't play anything from the eighties or whatever. Uh, so, and I get why I understand why, and I understand people really love that sound. And I mean, it's more than nostalgia. There is a certain appreciation to kind of the simple sleazy sound that kiss used to deliver, particularly with their first few albums. And so classic 78. So if you're a fan of that, okay, if you're a fan of kiss from their 74 album going up until like rock and roll over. Okay. You are going to, I, and I guarantee, I, I try not to guarantee often, but I guarantee you this. I pro here. I actually, it's something I rarely say. I promise you, I promise you, you're going to love this. It's two, two EPs, six tracks a piece. They're titled side one and side two. The unfortunate thing is that especially side one, as far as I can tell is only available in the iTunes store to buy. You could probably stream it everywhere. I don't know. Side two, both of these came out in 2017 and basically they're trying to be like two sides of an LP, right? To make a full album. That, that was the idea. Again, they're trying to play off of this classic seventies concept with kiss. Uh, side two is available on Amazon and a bunch of other places. In fact, you can even find it to download it for free, frankly. Um, but side one, as far as I, like I had to go to, and it was five bucks, but I had, you know, I had to go to the iTunes store to get my hands on it. Um, I mean, it, it's worth every penny. I mean, if you had to buy both of them, Ooh, you spent 10 bucks. Gee whiz, you know, on really, really great music. And it's amazing, um, that it really does sound, I mean, and they have, they have multiple singers. You have a guy that sounds very much like Paul Stanley. You have a guy that sounds very much like Gene Simmons. And in fact, on side one, the last track is called Streetwise. And they got a guy who sounds like Ace. They got a guy who sounds, who sounds like Ace Fraley. And it's genius. And it is that sound. 
you know, but they're, they're new songs. I mean, so you could effectively, again, I, I think they totally achieved their goal of this is what dynasty should have been right to them. Now, I mean, and I'm not knocking Dynasty because I, I actually like Dynasty a lot as an album. I think I Was Made for Love and You is a fucking great song, especially on a live three. Uh, you know, I don't have a problem with the fact that Kiss changed. Quite the opposite. But I can also appreciate that that sound has never really come back. And it actually makes me think. So anyway, every every song, in my opinion, every song on, on both of these EPs is, is fantastic. Every one of them is great. Uh, I don't know why they haven't. I mean, it's three years later. Come on, guys, <laughs> like go ahead and pop out another one because the, the, what you did originally was awesome. Maybe they can't recapture that magic because, I mean, to do 12 great songs, admittedly, that's a challenge for a far more seasoned band even, you know, and take your pick of the name. But the funny thing with this is that we are constantly told that the reason, you know, that basically no, you know, when you hear a, a classic song, take, take your pick of some classic song from the seventies or whatever. And if you ask the question, I don't know, to the ether or to the person next to you walking down the street, why doesn't anybody make music like that anymore? Usually they won't. I mean, sometimes maybe they'll say, well, people just aren't that talented anymore. Okay. But why can't the same people that made it back then make that same music anymore? Like say kiss. So that doesn't necessarily hold up. But then a lot of people will just say that, you know, well, you can't make that kind of music anymore because now we're in the modern world, blah, blah, blah. And you just can't replicate that sound. You can't make it sound like that anymore. And you have plenty of bands also who like to claim that, yeah, we're going back to that classic sound. I mean, I don't know how many times I've heard Motley Crue say, yeah, this sounds like shout at the devil or whatever, but then it doesn't, right? It's like, well, wait, well, what's the deal? And I mean, and it all comes down to marketing and a bunch of horseshit, but basically classic 78 calls bullshit on all of those arguments. If a band any band, no matter how unique the sound. And I would argue that Kiss had a pretty unique sound back in the day, regardless of how much they were inspired by New York Dolls or Take Your Pick. Okay. If a band wants to sound like 1974, they can sound like they're in 1974 right now, today. That argument that they can't, nobody can make music like that anymore is bullshit. And Classic 78 proves the point. It's worth listening to. You know, I mean, cause I'm sure you can find it for free on YouTube as well. It's worth listening to it for that reason alone to go, holy shit. How did something that sounds like this, you know, how does this happen in 2017? Now, I mean, I've had this proven to me before, uh, for example, with Stan Bush where Stan Bush, you know, he came out with, uh, well, he's actually come out with a few albums in the past uh, few years, but you know, he's come out with albums where I listen to it. Like I, like his song, I'll never fall uh, in love again. It sounds just like something out of 1986 and you go, but it came out in like 2009 and you're like, oh, wait, wait, you can do that. Like you can still sound like that. That's okay. And it's beautiful when it happens. Classic 78 is another example of that. And I think it makes it absolutely worthwhile. So grab both side one and side two. Like I said, I promise you, if you like that seventies kiss sound, you are in for a, the treat of your lifetime of your lifetime. In fact, it even gives me hope. It's funny years ago on this show, seven years ago or so six or seven years ago, I did my it's episode 99. It was just before episode 100. It was called uh, 20 It's called sovereign tech 2099. That was the name of the episode. And at the end of that, 
I pretended basically the whole episode, I pretended I was in the year 2099. And at the end of it, I did a, a climax where I talked about kiss two and kiss three, now, not a live two and a live three. No, like future renditions of the band that were basically officially licensed by Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons, which is something that people expect to happen in reality. Anyway, I didn't predict anything special there, but in that I talked about, and this was well before 2017, I talked about where band, you know, like kiss three, like that's fine that they're holograms or whatever, because they still, they're still making music with that classic sound. Classic 78 proves that that is absolutely possible. <laughs> you can have holograms of kiss up there with new music that sounds just like it came right out of the seventies before dynasty in 79. Amazing. Or, or wait, was dynasty 78, whatever. It doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> you get my point. So check these out. I, I can't recommend them highly enough. Uh, they are an, an absolute time capsule, but they're new. It's just amazing. So Classic 78, grab both of them. And, you know, I think I'm going to wrap the show up there. Uh, I was going to, to get into something else for the climax, but we're already over two hours. So we'll wrap it up here. Uh, please, of course, feel free to donate to the show. If, uh, if you feel, like I say in the ad, if you feel that special feeling in your cocks, <laughs> go for it. But otherwise, I will see all of you woo, on the other side. Thank you for listening to Sovereign Tech. And Osiris One Production. Now go out there and make some trouble. <laughs>